Thank you, Susie. Well, it's been such a good time, and tonight we are thrilled to be speaking to you together. Yes, we are. Now, it was September 1975, and I had just arrived from Chile, where I had lived for the first 13 years of my life. I was new to boarding school, uh, where my housemistress summons me to go for tea at Miss Cooper's. Miss Cooper was in her 80s. I turned up to the house, I pressed the buzzer, and the door opened, and I put on a pair of slippers from the selection on the rack, as I was instructed. I opened one door, then another, and then walking through a series of rooms to the end, there she was in the lounge, a small room filled with oversized furniture and a burning fire, and Miss Cooper at the piano. There she was, large-breasted. Uh, she was dressed in what looked like a 20s nightdress and a little blue ribbon around her head and a white wavy bob. Now, she beckoned me over, inviting me to sing hymns with her. What I discovered was that Miss Cooper loved to worship and she was full of the Holy Spirit. It was to be the start of a firm friendship. She became my confidant, she inspired me and influenced me in her faith and her passion for Jesus. Now she wasn't a church leader and she wasn't particularly talented, but she had a strength and she prayed and invested in young girls like me at a time in my life when I was drifting away from the Lord. Now, one day, she took me into a room upstairs, a room with a table of Bibles and journals, and the walls were covered in passport-sized pictures of women. Debbie, she said, I'm praying for you the same way I have prayed for all these girls. Every one of them is serving the Lord. There were missionaries, doctors, head teachers, church leaders. They heard his call, and they're serving him all over the world. He's calling you, and I'm praying. Miss Cooper took her place. What Miss Cooper achieved for the kingdom of God can't be measured by us, but I believe what she did behind the scenes was absolutely amazing. This time last year at the National Leaders Conference, we showed the legacy interview with Carol Wimber and Bob and Penny Fulton, who were part of the Vineyard movement from its inception. And Carol finished by sharing a strong prophetic sense she had. In it, she stressed the importance of taking our place. She was sure something was coming which would affect the whole world, something through which God would work wonderfully but was going to be really difficult. And this is what she said. I'm not sure exactly what's coming, but I know it's coming and I know it's soon and I know it's huge, like nothing we've ever seen before. And that is kind of scary and wonderful to think about. It's coming and it's going to be so big and so huge and wonderful, but terrible too. Might we be seeing the beginnings of the fulfillment of Carol's prophetic sense? We do believe Carol's word is profoundly relevant to what we're experiencing across the world and anticipate as we look to what God may be doing through it. The coronavirus pandemic has for people across the globe been, to use two of Carol's words, scary and terrible to varying degrees. Over two million people have died. In just our own nations of the UK and Ireland, over three and a half million people have had the virus, and the number of those who have died is now at 100,000. The impact of this virus has been unprecedented in our lifetime. We've been affected in so many ways. The mental health charity Mind said that more people experienced mental health crisis during the coronavirus pandemic than ever previously recorded. According to the BBC, the World Health Organization stated that nearly half of the world's 3.3 billion global workforce are at risk 
of losing their livelihoods as a result of the pandemic. On a personal level, so many of us have found it scary and terrible. A number of us know people who are suffering mentally and emotionally, even some who've tragically taken their lives. We know people who've been really sick, others who have lost loved ones, lost their job, are under huge financial pressure or suffered domestic abuse, which has been exacerbated by lockdowns. You may be one of those. Carol's words, scary and terrible, certainly describe these times. But Carol ended the film reminding us that God intends to do something wonderful through this, with this exhortation to every one of us. Take your place. She sensed the Lord saying this, I need the whole body of Christ in their places for what is coming, and it is coming. She said, you need to get what God has called you to do and do it with all your heart. It is so very, very important because no one else has been designed to do it like you will do it, and you are the one he calls. No one else will ever be able to do what he's called you to do because we really are unique, each one of us unique, designed for our place. We need to be in our place so we can handle the influx because masses of people, masses of people are going to be brought in. Everybody knows in their spirit what you're called to do. So do it. If you haven't seen that interview, you can find it on YouTube. Just search for Vineyard Legacy. In the last 10 months, Vineyard churches around the UK and Ireland and, and many churches across denominations around the world have got creative. Individuals responded to the crisis in their unique settings and feeding those in food poverty, loving neighbors and friends, serving those on the front line, reaching out with kindness and generosity, and communicating the gospel and ministering in power in ways never imagined before. And we've heard so many encouraging stories as people have taken their place. We saw some of them on film this week, but Debbie, tell us some more. Yes. Um... So a student at Causeway Coast Vineyard in Northern Ireland felt prompted to text an old school friend with some words she felt God was giving him for her. Now, she was so encouraged that though she'd turned away from God, she said she wanted to come back into relationship with him. And then at Cardiff Vineyard, Westside, uh, they were meeting church on Zoom and there was a sense that God wanted to heal people. So they prayed over all the group. Now, one person on the call had a bad case of tennis elbow, causing extreme pain, and their Achilles that they'd snapped a couple of years ago was really tightening up, which gave them problems walking. Despite this, they said, they said this, if I'm honest, even though I was in pain, I didn't pay much attention to the call for healing. I just assumed there would be other people in worse situations, so I wrote myself off. After the prayer, I felt the presence of God really tangibly. The next thing I knew, I could fully rotate my arm and the Achilles had completely loosened. Now, another story is one from Wokingham Vineyards Connects Group, where they prayed urgently one night for 88-year-old Derek, who was dying of COVID. His family had been told to prepare for his death and his wife and children had actually written goodbye letters to be read out by a nurse who was with them. Now, all night, his wife waited for the call to let her know whether Derek had died. But instead, they were called to say that he had been, he was ready to be discharged. Everybody was so amazed and we're all praising God. Wonderful. You know, so much has changed and we face so many challenges. 
but our calling hasn't changed. This has been a time for us to take our place like never before. It has been hard, it is scary, and it is terrible. And we, like many of you, have found this season disorienting, haven't we? Uh, we've, uh, as we've led the church and the movement, we've had to make decisions, sometimes without the clarity that we really would have wanted. And like you and, and our teams, we've had to make so many new decisions, uh, sometimes at speeds that none of us previously experienced. And on occasion, we've spent hours uh, carefully forging a plan, and then we had to just scrap it and start on a whole new plan the next morning because something unpredicted suddenly changed. As leaders, we've never felt so exposed. Um, leading's been stressful, and, uh, and our lack of skill with technology combined with our internet failing and deadline pressure. At one point, John uh, was driven to punching a wooden tour frame, weren't you? And you know, I have to say, I think it hurt me seeing him so overwhelmed as much as it hurt him. Many of us right now, we can't do what we feel confident doing. As churches, we can't pray for people in the usual way. And here in Nottingham, our compassion ministry, The Arches, which had been a thriving community centre with a real reach into vulnerable people's lives, had to suddenly stop the way it was working. The best way that we could serve during the pandemic was to use uh, the building and the large spaces there to service other churches and food banks. The space turned into a distribution centre, handling dozens of tonnes of food to meet the needs of our city. Later, we were able to uh, come back to the way in which we could have more of a personal touch. But initially, it was just so painful having to close our doors to what we had done so well and pivot as we did. Added to this, we are all of us feeling uh, the loss through these restrictions that have radically changed church life. We can't meet together. We can't sing in the usual way. We can't lay hands on each other. We can't bring believers into the gathered setting. Everything feels different. The battle is tough and the rules of engagement have changed. You may have seen the news reporting that the game of chess exploded in popularity during lockdown. Maybe because people have more time or maybe because the Netflix series The Queen's Gambit raised the profile of chess to a whole new level. Ed Stetzer, a pastor and author from Chicago, shared a great chess analogy which really speaks into what we're experiencing as churches with massive restrictions. He said, in the game of chess, the queen is the most powerful piece. It can do almost everything all the other pieces can do. And inexperienced players tend to rely too much on it. Apparently, the best way to teach someone to play chess well is to take the queen off the board so that they'll learn to use all the pieces. And this makes them a much stronger player. In this season, the reality is that our queen has been taken off the board. Churches have been, uh, not been able to meet physically together in the ways that we used to. Mm -hmm. Our gatherings were just all but completely removed. But as sad as that was, it has allowed us to look at the board differently. We had to use the other pieces. For 2,000 years, congregations have congregated physically freely singing and connecting socially. And then back in March, that was all taken away with a few days notice. So we had to do things differently. Churches had to go quickly online and we, we really felt the loss of the queen. Despite that loss, many have taken their place. And while the online experience really doesn't match the physical gatherings, we have seen some really quite surprising positives. 
Not every church will have experienced these positives, of course, and finding anything positive in the struggle has for some been difficult. But having said that, when we look at the big picture, some things have actually been very encouraging. Both Pete and Chuck mentioned some in their talks. And if you missed either of the last two evenings, I really would encourage you to watch both. More people are engaging with online church than ever came to physical buildings. Young people are especially turning to God. And so particularly the reach has been a positive. We discovered it's easier for people exploring faith to engage online. They can be completely anonymous. They don't have to talk to anyone or feel obliged to stay for the whole service. They can even watch in their pajamas. Yes, you know, technology has enabled small groups to continue to connect. You know, couples with children can come together because they don't need a babysitter. And for many churches, Alpha worked even better than usual. And being forced to meet online opened up new possibilities, inviting speakers who don't have to travel. Or John and I had meetings with people from almost every continent. Mm -hmm. um, again, no expensive time-consuming, air-polluting travel. And despite the limitations, we could respond compassionately to the needs around us. And even praying for people via keyboard or speaking on Zoom, we could still do what we love to do, which is minister in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, we have some leaders here of a Mandarin speaking group in our church, and they did some healing training sessions online with a group of members uh, who were, and friends in England and in China. Now, before they even got to praying, uh, to the praying bit, uh, one of them was healed of pain in her finger, which she had had for three months. And another one who was in China experienced heat and healing in her back. And then there was a Chinese student who'd had a tumor on her neck for about a year, which was growing. And they prayed for her and the tumor became smaller. Now her housemate was with her at the time and she was joining in the Zoom call and they were both touched by the Holy Spirit and both of them gave their lives to Jesus right there and then. Now, also during this time, God has been speaking. He's been tearing down idols. He's been drawing us close, while at the same time causing us to see things in, in new ways. He's awakened so many of us, for example, to the issue of racial injustice, uh, giving us the opportunity to repent, to, to learn, to do some heart work, and aim towards a vision that embraces God's beautiful diversity, uh, of God's great and wonderful creation. One day, we will be able to use our Queen again, to gather in person and sing and lay hands on and hug each other. But we believe God is inviting us to strengthen other areas of church life, and as we have been doing, to try some new moves. Phil, one of our worship leaders, added a further thought to Ed's chess analogy. He reminded us that although the Queen is the most powerful piece in chess, the game of chess was never about the queen. It was always about the king. That's profound. It was never supposed to be about the services, the meetings, the gatherings, the programs. It was always about Jesus. In a recent interview during a meeting we were in with our area leaders in November, Mark Sayers said something along these lines. What if, in the restrictions, we have been forced to develop new forms of worship, be strengthened in our own journey with Jesus without depending on the church and programs? Not because those are wrong, they're great. But God has been giving us the opportunity to grow in our relationships with the Lord. 
The past 10 months have, for most people, been demanding, stressful and tiring. And some of you may feel like you've hit the wall, you've run out of gas, or at least you feel like you're running close to empty. And if that describes you, you're not alone. In November, I have to say, we began to feel fatigue. And this was brought sharply into focus when our two-and-a-half-week-old grandson was diagnosed with meningitis. And I remember thinking, oh, Lord, this is awful, not again. This had happened to our first grandson, and he had been really poorly, and we actually thought we might lose him. And now here we were again, but now restricted in how we could support and help in the crisis. And so we just felt so weak. And right then, the Lord reminded us of a text that he had given us a few days before. In the message translation, it mentions the phrase, fresh strength twice. And Isaiah talks about the Lord never getting tired out. And then he says this in verse 29. I'm reading from the message. He energizes those who get tired, gives fresh strength to dropouts, for even young people tire and drop out. But those who wait upon God get fresh strength. He energizes and gives fresh strength to those who are tired. And let's look a little bit closer at the passage in the NIV. And we're just going to start at verse 28, the verse before. It says this, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary and his understanding no one can fathom. Amazing. God isn't like us. We grow tired and weary, but so much is beyond our fathoming. But God, it says, he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. The fresh strength that we need in our weakness, the empowerment in our weakness comes one way, through waiting upon God, through hoping in the Lord. It's he who gives strength to the weary. He energizes those who get tired. This fresh strength was available to us then. And we are delighted to say that our grandson got better. But we believe that this is for now, for all of us who feel weak, who need fresh energy. We find again and again in the pages of Scripture those who truly experienced this dynamic. Paul is a great example not only because we see the accounts of his experience, but we hear the exhortations in his teaching. During Paul's ministry, he faced massive challenges, and yet he didn't go under. In 2 Corinthians 4, he writes this, verse 8, We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair. You might be thinking, I feel hard-pressed. How was it that he wasn't crushed? I feel perplexed, but often feel pretty close to despair. What was Paul's secret? What kept him going? What was, you know, when he was under immense pressure? He touches on the answer in the preceding verse, verse 7. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. The Lord was the source of his energy. He wasn't doing this in his own strength. He wrote in Colossians chapter 1 about his work of preaching and discipling. And he says this in verse 29. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy I can muster up. No, it doesn't say that, does it? I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. The English Standard Version says this. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. He strenuously worked 
as he took his place, fulfilling his calling, but not in his own strength. The energy was provided by the Lord. God wants all of us to run with fresh strength, not our own, but strength from him. When we wait on him, hope in him, in our tiredness and weakness, he will strengthen us. Right now, so many of us are experiencing struggles, but the interesting thing is that when we look at the Bible, so often we see God moving and empowering his people, not when they're experiencing a comfortable life, but in the midst of pressure and trials and suffering. We see this not just in Paul's life, of course, but Moses and Joseph and David and Daniel and Ruth and as Pete Gregg talked about, Elijah. I could go on. And so we can have confidence that God will give us fresh strength now. One profound example is in the life of the Apostle Peter. He knew what it felt like to be under pressure. He knew what it felt like to be weak, to be tested and to fail the test, to say the wrong thing out of fear. On one occasion when he did say the right thing at Caesarea Philippi, we find Jesus saying something quite amazing to him. This is Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. In the message version, verse 18, again, you are Peter, a rock. This is the rock on which I will put together my church, a church so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will be able to keep it out. The disciples must have wondered what Jesus was talking about. They knew they were a pretty average bunch of people who didn't look very much like world changers. And while Simon may have liked his new nickname, Rocky, I don't think he felt as strong as that name might have suggested. I doubt he felt very qualified to play a key role in the birth of the worldwide church, which would advance against every form of opposition. And right now we may wonder how we could be described as the church expansive with energy when perhaps we have never felt weaker in our lifetime. In January last year, I was actually in Israel and visited Caesarea Philippi where Jesus said those exact words to Peter. Now there's a massive wall there. It's over a hundred feet straight up and then about 500 feet wide. And it's at the foot of Mount Hermon. And it was the religious center for worship for numerous Roman and Greek gods. And it's a site of detestable practices. There were shrines carved out of the rock and a huge cave believed to be the gates to the underworld itself, known as the gates in the Jesus days as the gates of Hades, the gates of hell. And in Jesus' day, it was actually a really shocking place to bring the disciples to. But it's there in the face of evil and anything coming against God's people that Jesus declares, I am building my church on this rock. You, Peter, you, Peter, a true believer who recognizes who I am. This is where the strength of the church comes from. Jesus is saying, believe in me, believing in me is a far bigger rock than the one we're standing on. The statement you've made that I am the Christ is your greatest weapon, your greatest source of strength. And he is offering a challenge. Whatever evil comes up against us, whatever suffering, whatever humiliation, whatever ungodly values, whatever detestable structures and defensive structures come against us, he is the rock. He is the source of the fresh strength that we need. In this season, we have been forced 
to stand on that rock, on that truth, who he is in our lives. That is what gives us strength. One day we'll be together again physically. God is inviting us to come back with fresh strength, firmly standing on that rock. Jesus, in the face of detestable idolatry, a place marked with ungodly practices, invites us to be on the attack. It's more than strength for ourselves. It's strength for battle. It's strength to advance, to be God's people, the church so expansive with energy that nothing, nothing can stop the advance of his kingdom. It's a strength not dependent on great programs or wonderful gathered worship or enriching relationships and connections or even things in our lives that make us feel strong like health and financial security and family and jobs that we love. No, it's not those. It's strength in Jesus, in Jesus, in him alone. God comes to those who are weak. Peter felt weak. We feel weak. We're not in control. All we can do is put our hope in him, call on him. And as Carol said, take our place and be faithful in that. So many of you have taken your place this year. You've stepped into challenging environments in hospitals and prisons and education. You've been reaching out to vulnerable and lonely people. You've been leading your local churches and and we're just cheering you on. But you know, celebration or your own stamina or even people's gratitude, that's not not what is going to sustain you. It's God's strength that we need. This season is challenging, but we believe that as Chuck said last night, history will record that this was a great moment to be the church. Some of you are wondering, Lord, what is my place? What's the place you want me to take? Where do you want me? What do you want me to do? And that's a prayer that he loves to answer. You may not have clarity yet, but keep on asking him. Some of you are sensing some clarity on that. Maybe the Lord has been confirming something you were already sensing. You may have been struck by what Pete Gregg said and feel called to pray as you never have before. Or by Chuck's talk and know the Lord is challenging you to share your faith with greater intentionality. Or perhaps the Lord has underlined what he's wanting you to do through something else you've heard during this gathering from perhaps one of the other speakers. I believe God is calling some of you to be involved in church planting. Planting a church may look different to what it might have a year ago, but the Lord may be giving you creative ideas. Maybe he's calling you to start a business or make a career move or or pioneer a new area of ministry. Whatever taking your place might look like for you, you may be wondering whether you have what it takes to step into that place? Do you have the energy to press into that? Well, if it's the Lord, then the answer will be yes. Wait on the Lord, put all your hope in him. He energizes and gives fresh strength to those who don't feel they have it. And as we take our place and do his work, we do so with all his energy that he so powerfully works within us. Now is not a time to shrink our expectations of what the advance of the church and the kingdom of God might look like. Together, we can be confident that we are joining the Lord as he advances his kingdom and he gives us the strength to be the church so expansive with energy that nothing, not COVID, not government restrictions, not secularism, not persecution, nothing will stand in the way of its advance.